It's good to be uh, with you. Let me add my welcome. My name is Eric Hoffman. If we haven't met, we'd love to uh, get to know you. Um, one of the executive pastors here at Fellowship. And man, it's just so good to be singing Christmas songs, isn't it? I mean, this season, um, thinking about just what we're singing of come, Lord Jesus, come. Um, we, we need him. I need him. And it's just, a, it's just a great reminder in these songs of the things that we normally this season would just sing, but actually to pay attention to these lyrics and um, you know, Melissa and I were kind of bah humbug this year and didn't have the motivation to get our tree out of the attic and all that stuff. And then our youngest son has brought the joy and is nagging us every day until we did it. But I'm so glad we did because the lights and, you know, all that this, the hope that the season brings. So, man, if you haven't set the tree up, come on, let's go, you know. Um, next year, I think we're going to do before Thanksgiving. Who knows? You know, we, we, who knows what's the start? But um, just so excited to be in the season. Well, this morning, uh, what we're going to be doing is, is really talking about the hope that we have of the promise. And so in this Advent season, we're going to be talking about the promise in the next couple of weeks. But this morning, we're going to be talking about uh, what God is doing in the your world portion of our discipleship pathway of how we help y'all find wholehearted life in Jesus. And I just want to just uh, reacquaint you with this, but the, the weekly rhythms of your church, of gathering together as your church on Sundays, and then your group uh, in community, but then the daily rhythms of your walk, your personal responsibility of walking out what this looks like to follow Jesus, and then helping you where in your world, live out your faith and the personal responsibility of each of us to share the gospel. And then also in your world, just kind of expanding that this morning of talking about not only where you live, work, and play, but also collectively at Fellowship, how we come alongside local and global partners. And we're going to be sharing some stories of what God is doing here locally, but also globally that I think will just encourage you and inspire you. Um, and we'll be sharing this throughout uh, this month as we walk into global Christmas. So um, one of the things that um, in this season has come up a, a lot. A lot of people have been asking me and, and several others on staff is how do you think COVID is actually gonna change the church in the future? Like, how do you think it's actually gonna change and, and shift some of the things in the church? It's honestly, it's a, really, it's a really great question. We obviously know it's changing and shifting things currently right now as we're, as we're trying to adjust to different things and regulations and all those type of things in, in the midst of a pandemic, but how will it change the church uh, in the future, and one of the one of the ways I answer that is, it's very oversimplistic, uh, and it's not very helpful. So let me let me answer this for you. I say, in some ways, I think not much, and in some ways, I hope forever. Is that clear? Does that help you? Um, you know what I mean by that? Um, let me let me unpack that just a little bit. In some ways, I think I think not much, and and this will I think will be a, of great hope to us all. As I've looked back at some of the the ways that um, things like this have have happened in the world and they go back to normal pretty pretty quickly after after things go away. So like I think there will be some normalcy to come back. I do however think there's many in in our nation for sure that were cultural Christians. I mean, what I mean by that is they they just out of just you know habit or you know I grew up doing this or I think it's a good thing to do. Um, now they're out of that weekly rhythm. I don't think many of them will come back into church. I, I, I just have a, I just have a hunch that that's not, gonna, that's not gonna happen. Here's where I'm hopeful. What I hope happens in the church and how the church is changed forever by this is that we will really take seriously the call to live out the mission of God where we live, work, and play. That we will shift from a, a church in America has gotten very used to come to us if you want to know about Jesus, come, come to our thing, come to our programs, you know, come to Sunday morning to hear. 
And not that that's bad. I hope that that continues, that people will, will continue to come uh, to church that don't know Jesus to investigate. But I think the shift needs to happen where we are less about, hey, come to us, and rather an equipping church to say, we're gonna go to the people. We're gonna go to the, the hurting and the broken and those who need restoration and healing, that we will be a church that goes, that goes out. And that's what I hope changes forever about us, that we would be re-energized about this about this call that Jesus gives us and we'd be equipped to be able to do so. That's what I hope changes in us. That we would see that the, the gathering on Sundays is essential for us to come together as a family of faith, to be able to live this out, to be able to be encouraged, to be inspired, to come under teaching, but, but also how we can encourage one another to be able to then go out as we're scattered in our week to bring the hope of Jesus to the, the brokenness in our world. And so for in order for us to do this, one of the things that I want us to focus around in our time this morning is what Jesus calls every follower of his to do. And that is commonly known as the Great Commission. But if we're gonna, if we're gonna talk about that and recenter around this, then we need to look at what Jesus calls us to. So would you stand? And we're gonna look at Matthew 28, 18, to 18 through 20. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew 28. 18 through 20. But let's read this as our text this morning and recenter around what is Jesus calling us to do. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the living word of God for us today. You can have a seat. So when we were in our um, mini-series on citizens of the kingdom, what that looks like, there was, there was this phrase that kept coming back as we traced the story of the kingdom of God throughout the Bible, that it starts very early on, that you have heaven and earth overlapping. When the fall happened, you have them separating and through the work of Jesus, you have this overlap starting to happen with one day it coming back to heaven and earth. We'll be on the new earth with dwelling with God forever. So we, that, that theme like really stuck out to me. And then when I, when I knew I was gonna be t- talking, I was looking at this passage in verse 18, if you look at verse 18, has never really like stood out to me as, as like it was almost like the intro into what Jesus really wanted to talk about. But I, I want to just like highlight what, what Jesus is actually saying here in verse 18 is utmost importance. Usually I just kind of focus on, you know, go and, go and make disciples peace. But look at what he says in verse 18. All authority in where? Heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, again, if we just look at the, after that, we're, we miss what's actually happened here. So Jesus is the embodiment of heaven coming to earth. And we, we sing about this at Christmas, Emmanuel, God with us. He is the embodiment of heaven coming to earth, dwelling with us on earth. So when it says this, this should like bring all sorts of things from the kingdom of God series that we walk through. And if you missed that, go back and listen to those three. But in it, it like the kingdom of heaven and earth, and the kingdom of Jesus, what Jesus is talking about is kingdom, heaven and earth coming back together. So in light of what Jesus has done, He is now linking heaven and earth. He is the link. He is the good news of the kingdom. He is the link of heaven and earth. And so what he did on through his life, death, and resurrection is he now gave us the ability to be sons and daughters 
of God, to be access to the Father. So we now have a direct link to the Father who is in heaven here on earth. So so through Jesus, through what he has done, God has given him the name above all names, that through what he has done, we now have access to heaven. So you see this overlap starting to happen. And one day will be fully realized when he returns. And so that, that, that made me like pause and think, like I normally skip over that before, but this is so important for us because of what Jesus, now he has authority. So if Jesus has authority in heaven and earth, he's saying, because I have this authority in light of this, therefore you as my followers are called to live out with that same authority, that you actually have access to heaven and are bringing that redemption, that work that I was doing here on earth, that you are to be about the same work that I was about while I was on earth, making known who the father is, making known what the kingdom is like and how to live in the kingdom as his followers. You, as my followers, are to go and do this. Now, the invitation to to be part of Jesus's kingdom is to follow him to be identified through him is the part of baptism. And then to go and help others find life in him is the invitation to all peoples and all nations. So again, we are going in and being part of what, seeing this kingdom spread to all peoples and all nations. The invitation is open to everyone. So making disciples by being disciples of Jesus. Now, I've heard this passage. I mean, I grew up in the church. I've heard this passage so many times. Usually, you know, when missionaries came in, this was the passage they would talk about, um, you know, once a year or, or whatever we would talk, like, you know, talk about like, the, you know, a call to go make disciples. Well, the thing is, is I've heard this over and over and over and over again, but it hasn't, hasn't really like sunk in. Like the, I know I'm supposed to do something with this. Like I know I'm supposed to go and make disciples. And usually when I'm sitting out, you know, listening to someone talk about it, you know, you kind of kind of feel guilty. Like, I don't even know my neighbors. How am I going to go to the nations? You know, like you, you kind of feel like I should do more. You kind of have maybe this sense of guilt or maybe a sense of shame of like, I'm not doing what Jesus has called me to. Like I, I've wrestled with, with that over the years many times. The thing that I think is important for us to think through, I could get up here again and, and talk about the importance of making disciples and going to all nations. Like I could get up here and talk about that. I don't think that's our issue. I don't think the issue is that we don't understand what Jesus is calling us to. I think the issue is we don't know how. And so let me just, let me just back up. The first thing I wanna look at in that is what is a, what is a disciple? Now, in Jesus's day, a disciple would not be something you would have to explain to people. They would see it. Um, apprenticeship was so common in their day. But think about this. Like when he's talking about a disciple, he's talking about these, these students who would follow a rabbi, the teacher of the law, who were trying to become like the rabbi. So the, these students would actually follow the, the, the rabbi to become like them, that one day they would actually become teachers, just like that. They were apprenticing their lives, orienting their lives around him. There was a phrase being covered in the dust of the rabbi that you would follow so closely that you'd be covered in the dust, dust of the rabbi. Now, the thing that we don't think about, or let me just rephrase that, that I don't think about every morning is waking up and asking the question, how can I apprentice my life after Jesus today? 
Like, I wish I woke up with that in mind, but I really don't. Like, I, I don't think about that as the main crux of what it means to be a disciple, as someone who's following Jesus, apprenticing their life after him, a student of Jesus, to follow him in their everyday life. But that is the call. First and foremost, to be someone who's apprenticing your life after Jesus. So what Jesus values, I value. I'm shifting my values to what Jesus clearly lays out. I'm orienting my life around what Jesus is calling me to. I, I wanna get more acquainted with what is actually being talked about here. But for a disciple of Jesus, that's the first thing. I think we don't have a real understanding of what that means in our mind. I mean, you remember in the 90s when... Um, the, the, the term WWJD came out. Well, I said you remember in the 90s. I'm looking at some of you in the audience like, you don't remember the 90s. I'm like, man, I aged myself there. Okay, I remember the 90s. Um, and in the 90s, there was, this, there was this bracelet that went around, WWJD. I, I, had, I had several. And I don't think like as, as cheesy as some of that phrase uh, kind of came out to be, the thing is, is it was, it was patterned after a book that was early, I think early in the 1900s called In His Steps. And in the book, he was laying out a claim. That's what we are all called to do as followers of Jesus, that we would walk in his steps, that we would be asking the question, if Jesus was facing my day today, how would he live? And for me to model my life after how Jesus, my savior would, would model. Like we are to ask that question every day. So maybe I'll start selling WWJD bracelets in the lobby every Sunday to get us back to this idea. But that's the concept that really is, is at the heart of what this is, a disciple of Jesus making disciples of Jesus. So that is someone who's finding life and orienting their life around Jesus, helping others find and orient their lives around Jesus. So that's, a, that's the first part that I think we need to understand. The second part of how there's, there's this question I ask every, every single year that I'm, that I'm leading um, a men's discipleship group. Every year that I, I have a group in front of me, I always ask this question because I've been so fascinated by it. And, and most of the guys that are, are in this group, um, many of you who have been through that will know, the, have heard this question that I'm about to ask, but many of the guys you know, have grown up in Christian homes have been in the church all their life, have been, you know, it's almost like they're born and raised in the church, right? They've been around this. They've heard, they've heard this all, all their life. And the thing is that I ask is how many of you have been intentionally discipled by somebody? That is, somebody has walked with you in how to understand, you know, how to read the scriptures, how to follow Jesus, how to pray, how, you know, what Jesus calls you to, like what that actually looks like and actually walked you through that with an intentional uh, relational process with you. Every year, only one or two hands will, will come up out of 20, 30, 40 men. Now think about that. They've grown up in the church, they had Christian, they had Christian parents and they've never been actively discipled by somebody. So when we come to this passage today and we talk about this, or you hear this call of Jesus to go and make disciples, well, how on earth would you have any idea of how to do that if no one ever showed you how to do that? Does that make sense? It's like I'm calling you to do something that has never been modeled for you. I'm calling you to do something, or Jesus is calling, you know, like if you've never seen it, how would you know how to reproduce it? And so that's the thing that like has bugged me for years of like, okay, how do 
I break the code of actually distilling this down into a process for somebody um, like, like you to be able to walk in and think about and have confidence to be able to, to disciple somebody else, to live out the call of the church, of every follower of Jesus to be able to do this. Well, one of the things, let me just give you a scenario. Let's just say one of your neighbors or, or coworkers comes up to you and says, hey, I know you're a Christian. I know you go to church. I want to follow Jesus. Like, I want him to be my Lord and Savior. Can you tell me how, how, how that happens? Okay, let's just say someone gives you a giant softball and, and does that, okay? What are you gonna do after they come to faith? How are you going to disciple this person? Like, I want you just to think about that. If that happened to me, my coworker or my neighbor came, came to me, I led them to faith, they're now following Jesus. What do you do next? I bet you if I asked that question in here, like, some of you would be like, I don't know, like uh, I read this really good book one time and I think maybe I'll take them through that or maybe we'll just go through the book of John or, you know, Purpose Driven Life was like pretty simple. Maybe I'll just walk them through that. Like, I bet you we would have like 150 different answers in this room, right? Because we don't have this like this process of like what it looks like because it never was done and modeled for us. And so this has been like, this has been on my mind and heart. And when, when COVID hit, I recognized that, we as a, as a church needed to shift. We needed to figure out how are we going to unlock this of training and unleashing disciples who make disciples. How do we develop this process to be able to help you all live this out where you live, work, and play? And so uh, March came, and just like you, I had a lot of time on my hands. You know, I'm, I'm in my house. I'm like, my meetings are canceled. Everyone's trying to figure out what's going on. And I just said, man, now, now is the time to devote energy and resources to be able to, to really tackle this. And so the small group of us um, really, really dove in on how would we, how would we do this? And so we, we started writing what is now entitled a Wholehearted Field Guide, Essential Tools to Help You Find Life with God and Help Others Too. And so we wrote this um, with this in mind. See, the thing is, is that we, we want... Um, the thing that needs to happen in disciple making is that you have complete confidence in the tools and resources that you would help guide somebody else through. So you need to be familiar with it in, in a way that it's bringing life to you and, and, and helping you in that way. So it's essential tools that help you in your daily life to be able to engage God where you have a vibrant daily rhythm with God. So many people that we talk to and we, we ask like, hey, how often are you, um, you know, in a daily rhythm with God, walking with God, of, you know, in, engaging God's word and, and prayer and, and gratitude and, and being able to walk that out? Many of you would say, you know, it's inconsistent. Like I wanna grow in that, but I just don't know how, or I just don't have this rhythm or I don't have the tools or resources. And so we created this in a way where it's written for you to grow as a disciple of Jesus, first and foremost. So to be able to help you in your daily life, be able to engage God's word, to grow in prayer so that you're experiencing this vibrance with God. And it's, it's through this heart tool that we've, that we've developed. And we're beta testing this right now with, with a group of, of folks going through intensive two. And so we're, we're getting great feedback from that. And here's the thing. We, we think that as, as somebody grows in, in those tools, as they're using them in their daily life, if that scenario comes up 
where a coworker or somebody comes to faith and you share the gospel or somebody is at church here and hasn't been discipled, that you're able to then buy them, take a field guide and give it to them and say, hey, let's walk through this together. And now you have a process to be able to help lead them through to find life in Jesus and to be able to disciple and help them grow. Because in the same way that you have been growing, you can now help somebody else. So that's that's the that's the goal. That's the thing that we're that's the thing that we're after. Um, we're again we're in beta test of this, and and hopefully in mid um, spring we're going to be uh, be able to unleash this um, to the world and in, in our church. But the purpose of the field guys is to help you grow as a follower of Jesus, so that you can live out the mission of the church, to glorify God and make disciples by helping people find wholehearted life in Jesus. And that's that's my hope. That's the, that's what I hope shifts in us that we would feel confident and equipped to be able to guide somebody else through this. That as parents, like we're, we're hoping to write a student version of this so that you as a parent can say, hey, you know what? As a, a Growing up, I wasn't discipled by my parents. I don't know necessarily how to disciple my kids or, or to walk with them. We wanna create a resources to be able to help equip you to be able to live out the Great Commission where you live, work, and play. And that's what we want to be about. And so I'm, I'm, in some ways, I'm, I'm really grateful that there was a, an eight-week uh, period of time where we were kind of shut in and was able to dedicate to kind of cracking this code because we really, we really want to take serious, what does it look like to live out what Jesus calls us to? And the first thing I think we need to do is model what it looks like and to be able to create systems where you feel confident and to lead someone through a process. So the, when we talk about your world, that's the one thing that we're really trying to develop is that to help you guys have confidence to be able to live out the mission where you live, work, and play. When, when we talk about your world, it also is to the ends of the earth. So how do we come alongside local partners and global partners who are making disciples here and around the world to further the work that God has given them? And so that's one of the things that we want to talk about in the remainder part of this morning is just what God is doing here and around the world through our local and global partners. And I want to hear you guys to hear some of those stories as we're developing what this looks like for you guys to join in this way. So I'm going to invite Susan back up, um, who leads our local and global partners. And so when we, when we talk about this um, locally and globally, one of the things when we we're um, really trying to develop what uh, the local partners, the local aspect of this, of what we do, is we wanted to model it after what we've been doing globally. What we've been doing with our global partners has been so successful because of the relationships that we're able to build with them that we were like, how can we make that where we actually starts to live out where we, uh, where we have local partners, where each of us are able to experience that same thing that we experience globally with our partners. So Susan, talk a little bit about um, what some shifts are and some pillars that we do globally mm-hmm. that actually start shaping uh, what we do locally with some of our partners. Yeah, definitely. So as, as you've seen from the video this morning, or maybe you've experienced from, from being here at Fellowship, we have strong relationships with our global partners. Um, and, and that's for multiple reasons. One, because we've looked for individuals who are working within their community doing what Eric just talked about. They are discipling themselves and discipling others to disciple others. And so we, we've partnered with them because they are working in their community, connecting with their individuals. But we've done it in such a way that 
we really wanted to make sure we understood their heart and they understood ours. And so we, we maintain those conversations with them. Um, we have those phone calls. We go visit them. Um, it's not just about the finances we send. It is a lot about the relationships. So when we started looking at, okay, what part of that has made global outreach so strong, we noticed or, or actually were reminded of a truth that we already knew, and that is that lives are not changed in isolation. Maybe you've heard Lloyd say, transformation does not happen in isolation. It happens in relationship. And so we see that played out in global outreach as well. Uh, it's, it's the lives that our partners are connecting with over there, but it's our lives as well. Whether it's our partners coming here and talking to us or whether it's us going there and spending time with them, not only do we get to see what's happening or what God is doing in the lives there and how they're changing, we're changed. Mm -hmm. We get to experience God in a way that we don't normally get to experience him right here in Middle Tennessee. The other part we saw was that What's natural when you're going to a different country is you do get to see God from a different light. There's a diverseness in his character that we don't really experience when all we do is spend time with the people that are just like us. And so that's another aspect of our global partnerships that we saw has made it such a long, a long ongoing relationship is it's beneficial for both parties. We see the change that's happening there and we get to be changed because of it. And so as we looked at local and thought, okay, if, if it works that way in global, those principles, well, what would that look like to put those principles in place here locally as well? And so we started to look for partnerships, individuals that we had already been having conversation with. We've been doing serve days with them off and on throughout the years and started evaluating, are these individuals, are these churches, organizations that we don't just want to do a one day a year serve day with, but we really want to be in relationship with them. We want to get to know them and the people they serve, and we want them to get to know us. Um, we looked for, for people, organizations that would give us that opportunity that happens when you go to a different country and you experience the diverse characteristics of who God is, well, could that happen here locally as well? Yes, we found that it could. And so when we, we were looking at the partnerships for here locally, those were similar pillars that we were looking at is who can we be in relationship with that in that relationship, we get to experience God and his diversity because those people that, that we, those communities that we are working with and helping are different than us. And so from that, we've narrowed it down to four organizations or churches that we are officially partnering with or calling our local partners. Uh, the first one is Barefoot Republic. If you were here um, last week or maybe watched online, you saw the video of Barefoot and Tommy and, and just the diverse community that he serves and his goal of bringing individuals that don't normally get to meet each other, talk to each other, experience each other's cultures together. Another one is New Hope Academy, uh, a school here in Williamson County, the same mission and goal. Uh, of course, educating students, but doing it in such a way that they're bringing diversity there into the school 
again, for the purpose of allowing those students to see God in a different light, in a different view, because they're talking to somebody, having relationship with somebody they wouldn't normally have had relationship with. The third one is All Nations Soccer. And that is a, a soccer club that happens on Brentwood campus. It's open to both campuses. It just happens to be at the Brentwood campus um, where individuals come on Thursday evening and play soccer. Um, we have seen a, a huge, diverse group of individuals come to play soccer, um, predominantly internationals for obvious reasons. That, that is their game, very similar to football is ours. They come and play soccer and fellowship members get in and jump in with them. And then those soccer players, those um, international students, they get to hear the gospel afterwards. So it's an opportunity for us to build relationship with them, an opportunity for them to see maybe Jesus for the first time. And then the fourth one, the final one, is El Shaddai Christian Church, uh, a church in uh, northern Williamson County, Pastor Herman tells me that they, on a normal basis, serve probably 16 different Latino communities, hmm. uh, individuals that are either are members of their church or um, people that they interact with. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are the, the four partnerships that, that, in looking at global, we said, hey, let's see if we can make that relationship that, that allows us to have um, a diverseness that we wouldn't normally get so that we can grow closer to God as we are reaching out to those around us. Mm-hmm. That's really exciting. And one of the things that you've been sharing with us as a staff is as COVID has, has changed so much of how we you know, do ministry, it's, it, that's been happening locally and, and globally as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things that has happened is it's opened up opportunities to go beyond just our plans or what we thought was gonna happen and see God do something mm-hmm. Um, so tell tell the story of what happened at El Shaddai yeah. recently that is just really exciting of how that kind of how that kind of twist happened. Yeah, definitely. So um, one of our one of fellowship members, Amy Johnston, reached out to me um, in April and said, "You know, we're hearing a lot of what's happening globally and how these um, how our partners are being negatively impacted by COVID, but I know things are happening here locally as well." For example, El Shaddai. She said, how are the El Shaddai members coping in this, um, in this scenario? And, and are we doing anything to help them? And so we reached out to Pastor Herman at El Shaddai and said, how are you guys doing? He, he serves a, a group of individuals that predominantly, they need that job every single day in order to buy food for their family. And so you can imagine in the midst of COVID, when things started shutting down um, and and they weren't able to go to their jobs, therefore they don't get the money, therefore they can't buy food for their families. Pastor Herman said, we need help with food. And so we started um, brainstorming and thinking, you know, can we bring in some different food banks uh, to to meet there in North Williamson County um, to bring food to the the, um, members there? And it, it just never opened up for us. One conversation with, um, with Star Ministries, a food bank in East Nashville, I was talking to Eddie Sanders and, and I learned that they receive food twice a month from Second Harvest and he was only needing at that time just once a, once a month of food. And so when I, when I shared with him that El Shaddai members were in need, he said, well, will they come up here? Because if they'll come up here, 
we can do that second um, food donation for them. And so in May, we had the first drive-through food bank, um, food event. And it was joint for both the East um, Nashville community there, the the Star Ministry community, as well as Al Shaddai members. Um, Fantastic event for for so many reasons. One, because it, it went extremely smoothly for us having done it for the first time. At two, we saw 150 families, that's not individuals, those are families, that were served with food um, in combination of Star Ministries and El Shaddai. And so um, we said, hey, this works and there's a need, let's keep doing this. And so every third Monday of the month, um, from then and, and it will continue on into next year, we meet there at, um, at Star Ministries in East Nashville Pastor Herman sends out information to his members saying what time to come and cars line up around the block. Um, we've seen from this event uh, just this beautiful picture of people coming together to serve. So it started out with the, the East Nashville Church and Fellowship Church uh, coming together to put the food boxes in the trunks. And then Al Shaddai members, as they got to a point where they were feeling more stable and, and their job situation was getting a little bit better, then they started coming and volunteering. Uh, one month we had the local police come by and say, what are you guys doing? And when we expressed to them and told them what we were doing, they said, well, can we help next month when you do it? And so since then, they've come. And so it, it's this beautiful picture of, of people from all around different nationalities, different um, socioeconomic background coming together to serve. What we didn't expect, or maybe I should say what I wasn't expecting and hadn't planned for was who we, who we were going to serve. So we, we planned to serve that East Nashville community as well as the Al Shaddai members. When September, I was standing by um, Eddie and Everything was going, you know, the way it's always gone. And Eddie looked at me and he said, Susan, something's wrong. And I said, what? He said, we don't have enough food boxes for the number of cars that are lined around the block. Uh, Eddie's very organized. He gets a count from Pastor Herman each month as to how many members are going to come. He has a general idea of how many in his community are going to come. And so then he orders that amount of food from Second Harvest for that day. And today, that day, he was noticing that there was not near enough food for the number of cars lined around the block. So we ran into the food bank, uh, got some food bits and pieces. Um, unfortunately, a lot of people got cornflakes and spaghetti sauce that day. <laughs> um, but we got food into everybody's trunk got everybody on their way, and then kind of did our little powwow, our debrief, trying to figure out what went wrong. Where did the numbers go wrong? And about that time, Pastor Herman, who had been out um, at another section of the parking lot, he came running up and he said, guys, do you know what happened? And we said, no, what? And he said, did you see that woman walking around with the camera? And I said, no. And he said, that was a Latino reporter who has a huge Facebook Live following. She was here showing what was going on and telling her followers, if you need food, come here today <laughs> because there's free food. And I, I thought in my head, 
And I don't, I don't think I said this out loud. I was thinking, that's not how we plan this to happen. How dare she tell all of those people that there's free food here? Pastor Herman must have seen my face because he said, no, Susan, you don't understand. All of those extra individuals that were coming because of the Facebook Live, those are people, those are families that we never knew anything about. They had not stepped foot in El Shaddai. We had not had conversation with them. And yet now, close to 150 family members are going to hear the gospel because we know where they are, we know where they live, and over the next coming weeks, we're gonna go talk to them. We're gonna follow up with them. We're gonna share with them who Jesus is. So something I would have never planned, never would have invited a Facebook Live reporter to come and tell, hey, come get free food, has now ended up being something where that was back in September for the past three months now, Pastor Herman has handed out over 300 Bibles in Spanish to individuals who never have stepped foot in the El Shaddai Christian Church. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, you're so right. I mean, I would have thought the same thing that you're thinking. It's like, that's not what we planned. That's not how it's supposed to go. And um, a very similar, you know, so funny, a very similar thing happened in Croatia. And you were telling me a story of Darko, who's leading that, and just mm-hmm. what God did there, again, taking something that we planned and just kind of just blew it up. So yeah. t- tell the story of, of what happened in Croatia. Yeah, this, is, this has been a year of unplanned, um, but it's also been a year of watching God work in, in miraculous ways. So uh, last year, uh, myself and Dave Bechtel, who is a, a member here, uh, in combination with Darko, we're talking about a festival, uh, There Is Hope Festival, uh, in Croatia. Um, they were going to hold this um, event every night, or it was actually going to be all day long for a week, where they were going to set up a tent in the, the town square. Uh, it's a long rectangular area called the Corzo. They were going to set up this tent in a location where people would obviously see it, would be curious, would want to come in, hear a gospel message, <clears throat> hear music, and, and hopefully hear about Jesus maybe for the first time and want to have ongoing conversation. And so we said as a church, yes, we want to come alongside you in that. We want to help you in that. And so set aside finances for it. Dave started talking to some people, maybe maybe one of you out there, he tapped on his shoulder and said, hey, we need help with instruments, people playing instruments. We need tech support. Let's get a team together to go over and help them. And then of course, once COVID became more of a reality and Uh, Flight restrictions became something that was obvious. We weren't going to be able to do what we'd planned on doing. We went back to Darko and said, are are you still going to hold the festival? Um, Are you still going to have this tent? It it was a tent that would hold 300 people um, in in a regular scenario. But as restrictions continued to increase, the city was telling him, hey, you can have this this festival, but you can only have 100 people in the tent at once and no more. Hmm. And so we said, are you, are, you, are you maybe thinking about canceling it um, even? And so he prayed and, and talked with some other people there in the area that were gonna help him put it on. And he said, you know what? No, let's not cancel it. Instead of it being inside this tent, let's have this open air stage that we're gonna set up. 
So as I mentioned, the, the, um, the city square is actually this long rectangle, and there's cafes that line it. There's apartments with terraces. And so he said, let's set up the stage at the end of the Corzo, that, that city square area, where it's out in the open so there's not any restrictions. And because it's in the open, everybody walking up and down the Corzo, shopping, sitting in the cafes, even sitting on their terraces can hear the music that we play each evening. And so that's what they did. He said, um, you know, because it wasn't in this tent sectioned away where people had to purposely come in and hear because it was out in the open, he said a good three to 400 people each evening um, were, were given the opportunity to hear gospel music and a short testimonial. Hmm. Well, in addition to that, I mentioned they were gonna do a, a gospel message every day there in the tent. And, and so in order to meet that need, they decided to do a live stream from their church building. Their church building on a regular basis holds 100 uh, with restrictions. I think maybe they could fit 50 in there. And so having people come back for the message there at the church building was not gonna work. And so they, they did a live stream each evening. And I said, Darko, how did that go? And he said, Susan, every evening that we did this live stream across the entire country of Croatia, we had 10,000 views. Mm. Now, now think about that. We had these great plans <laughs> of a tent strategically placed so that people would see it and want to come in that was gonna hold 300. And, and when that, that didn't happen, we were like, well, that's it. Guess we can't do anything. Darko in his faithfulness said, no, let's, let's shift here a little bit and let's see what happens. And because of that, 10,000 people across the country were able to hear the gospel. Mm. Uh, Darko, when I asked him how this year has been for him, I wanna read you what he says. In the midst of all restrictions, God opened the door of opportunity to share the gospel like never before. In one week, we were able to plant more seeds of the good news than I have ever experienced over the last 20 years of ministry. In spite of the hopeless situation because of the COVID crisis, the Lord blessed us by having the festival in the middle of our town square, and it was all his working. None of us could have planned it, and therefore none of us can brag about it. We could only walk in dependence on him every step of the journey while watching him work. Uh, one of their members did a, a really cool video that we wanted to show you of the festival.
It's incredible. And just to think, you know, um, instead of reaching uh, about 100 people, they were able to reach 10,000. And I just wanted to just be real clear, your faithful giving uh, to last year's global offering allowed that work to happen. So because of your giving, it allowed Darko to be able to put on something like that. Mm-hmm. And it allowed that to be in, a, in an area that's very hard uh, soil to be able to have 10,000 uh, seed spread across that country, which is just absolutely incredible. Each of you should have received in your mailbox uh, one of these uh, global Christmas magazines. And if you didn't, you can actually pick one up on the way out or in the lobby. And we'd love for you to engage in this. It has many articles and different things about who our partners are and, uh, and how you can pray for them, how you can join that. But then also for each, each and every member of your household, if you have if you have kids, if you have students, uh, and especially us as adults, can walk through this. And we've designed it in a way for each of us to be able to participate in the offering. And so we want, we want uh, each of you to be able to consider how can we say less under our tree, more for the world, and to live out that value of not about ourselves, and to be able to further this work around the world uh, through our global partners. And so I want you to engage, engage this. We're, raising, um, we're asking to, uh, for you all to consider so we can raise $1 million dollars to go towards this work, which is a big goal. And, and it will take each of us to be able to collectively say, God, what are, what are you calling us as a family to give, as individuals to give uh, towards this? And so as you read this, be, be praying and thinking through that. And I also just wanted to just tell you how, to, how you can give. You can give in three different ways. Um, you can give online or you can give by text, and that's the number that you uh, text global to, and then the, the amount that you want to give, or you give by envelope as well. And if, you're, if your kids give, um, they'll be getting a message from one of our global partners after uh, global offering as well, thanking them personally. So I want to just encourage you. Uh, we know in this time that you know, uh, there's some of you who, you know, finances have been, been tighter than they've ever been, or work uh, has, been, has been different. And we know for each of us, it'll be a step of faith uh, and trust to be able to to give in this way. And so just want to encourage you to engage God as you consider uh, doing something like that, that in this season, you're going to be able to hear in the next couple of weeks of how God has used these, uh, these, this money to be able to further the work, especially in a time like this, and just really encouraged um, by what God is doing around the world through our global partners. We'd love for you all to stand, and um, I thought it'd be appropriate for us to just commission and just pray for you all um, where you live, work, and play as we live out what, what God has called us to. And I was just reminded of, uh, as we read the Great Commission, that as the book of Matthew starts, it talks about Emmanuel, God with us, that God has come down to earth and dwelled among us. And it ends with Jesus reminding us that as he sends us out, that he is Emmanuel, that he is with us, that he is with us to the end of the age. And how, how um, awesome it is, how the story begins in Matthew is how it ends. So let, me, let me pray for us. Would you bow your head and want to commission you guys as where you live, work, and play. So Father, I pray for your people where they live, that they would be witnesses to your grace and love and to their household first, showing one another what it means to serve and to build up and care for one another as you have loved and served and cared for us. And for those who are parents who stay home with young children, would you give them grace to endure, to see their purpose in discipling their children? For our neighbors, first father, would we be motivated, compelled, and empowered to know our neighbors to take steps to know their names, their stories, and their needs? Would you help us to see our brokenness and our need for you in our own lives 
so that as we look to the brokenness and needs of others around us, we would approach that with great compassion, empathy, care, and action. Holy Spirit, would you embolden us to share the good news of Jesus, especially in this time of uncertainty and fear that you are the true sovereign and hold all things together. For those you've given work to do, would you give them awareness for how you've gifted them an ability to bring great value to the world and bring about flourishing for others? Help them to see how they can serve, contribute, and move forward to work with integrity and honor. And would you give them eyes to see their coworkers as a mission field? For students, to not grow weary in this time, but as you learn and grow, mature in these days, would you find your identity in Jesus? And would you be filled with a desire to be motivated by his great love for you in this season? Father, we also want to pray for our local and global partners. God, is, we've been reminded this morning from the stories, this year has not looked the way we planned for it to. And yet in that, we have been able to see you at work in a mighty way. God, for our global partners who are working on soil, similar to what we heard this morning with Darko, and that for 20 years of laboring, of, of being a disciple and, and building relationship with people in his community, God, would you continue to give him endurance for all of our global partners in, in, the, in the ministries that they step into and, and lead because they feel like you're calling them to that? Would you give them the strength? Father, for our local partners here, as things continue to shift and change and, and restrictions may change what they had planned, Father, would you give them fortitude? And Lord, in all of that, would you give us a church that longs to, to partner with them because of our love for you and, and because they are doing a work that you've called them to? Would you give us insight? Help us to see how to be the wind in their cells. Help us to see how we can encourage them financially, uh, in our time, and in our prayers. Lord, we love you, and we're so grateful that we get to be a part of what you are doing here and around the world. Thank you for calling us on a journey. Thank you for loving us enough to say, come with me, be my disciple. It's in your son's name I pray, amen. Amen. See you guys next week. Be reminded that he is with you.